the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Well, a special guest joins us on today's program. We are pleased to have with us the founding and senior pastor of God's Church in Christ Jesus, Bishop General Heyman. Bishop Heyman, good to have you with us today. And There's so much to unwrap and talk about in relationship not only to what God is doing in your ministry, but what God has done in your life. And I find it interesting to note, maybe some in the audience can relate to this, that you had a calling back in 1978. But not long after that, you went running. And in fact, you ran from God for the better part of 23 or 24 years and finally coming back full circle. But not after having experienced a lot of hard knocks and gone through some very difficult times in life. And we'll have you share that with the audience. But to start with, kind of take us back, if you would, to some of your your background, your education, your upbringing, and eventually that calling, and why you ran from God for so long. So let's begin. Tell us a bit about some of your background. Graduated from San Francisco State University after, after serving in the Army. See, I served in the Army. They sent me to Korea. I got out in 73. In 74, I got married. And then uh, by the time I graduated in 77, my, the first thing my wife said, good, you got your degree, but we need a, you need a job. So I say, right. So I tried to find a job as quick as I could. Ended up getting a job at General Motors. And... I worked there for about a year, but after that year, I began to get these thoughts and feelings, and I wasn't really going to church at that time. I wasn't really uh, being obedient to the Lord, but I could feel him calling me because when I would open up my Bible, I would open it up, and I could only open it to two books. It was either Jeremiah and then I would turn the pages, and it would go to Ezekiel. And then I'll turn it again, it would go to Jeremiah. And then I'd turn it again. I couldn't get to the New Testament. I couldn't get anywhere but just those two uh, books of prophecy. So I knew that both of those men were prophets. But beyond that, I didn't know why I was stuck and couldn't turn the Bible any farther than those two. So then I prayed. And I just said a simple prayer. Uh, I just said, Lord, something to this effect. If you're telling me, if you're telling me I'm a prophet, then let a human being tell me. Because these different code messages and flipping scriptures and all that, I wasn't convinced that that was the Lord. It just could have been me. It just could have been by chance. So when I prayed that prayer, uh, I felt like I did my part and I forgot about it. But I would say maybe three weeks, maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. Um, I was attending church. I did get a church home, and I was attending church, and I was in the pulpit because I was a minister. I was appointed a minister by my pastor. And so I was sitting up there, and we had this big meeting where other ministers would come. It was like a district meeting, something like that. And then... I was just shaking hands with everybody in the pulpit first, right? And I shook this one person's hand, and when I shook his hand, he wouldn't let me go. And he started shaking. He said, oh, you're a prophet. I can feel it. I didn't ask this man all of that. I'm just trying to shake hands and go to the next one. But I felt like, and when he was doing it, I felt like, the whole world was looking at me. I felt like the spotlights were on me. I really felt embarrassed. I didn't know that the Lord was answering my prayer. I mean, I was completely caught off guard, but 
the Lord knows how to get his message across. And when he did that, I knew that the Lord answered my prayer. So I figured, now what am I going to do to be obedient? So the first thing I thought about, well, I better try to do something to show the Lord that I take him serious. So since I was working at the time, I had enough money to actually to get a little broadcast. So I figured, let me do a little broadcast, say maybe a 15-minute spot or something, maybe once a week. At least that would be something that I could do to let the Lord know that I wanted to be over. Even though I didn't know exactly what I should do, that was the first thought that came in my mind. So what I did was I went down to a station in San Francisco at that time. This was 1978. So I knew that they offered broadcast. So I tried to get something inexpensive. So they offered me a 15-minute spot early in the morning after I got off of work because I worked at General Motors from uh, 4 p.m. I worked the swing shift from 4 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. So this spot, I think, was on Thursday or a Tuesday around maybe 2.15 in the morning. But that was okay because it took time to drive over from Oakland to San Francisco and get set up. So that lasted for about maybe only a couple of months, maybe two to three months. And then I figured, uh, I really don't want to keep doing this. So I stopped doing it. And pretty much what I did, I started running away from the Lord. Even though he told me through the scriptures that, that he wanted me to do it, he confirmed it with the person who told me I was, and I did obey him for a few months. But then, you know, time passed. I put it behind me. And then, like you said, started running. Mm. And I ran for 25 years. As you look back over that experience during those years, what was it that you think motivated you to run? The main reason, Craig, that I ran is because I felt like that people, especially in the church, would not accept me. And I didn't feel none of that. I didn't feel like, even though the Lord told me I was and had a person tell me, I just didn't want to accept it. You know, I mean, it's just something that I didn't believe that I was comfortable with. People wouldn't accept me. And I pretty much put peer pressure and how people thought and all that ahead of being obedient to the Lord. That's really what I did. I just wanted to be a regular guy. So some feelings of inadequacy. And it's interesting because yeah. it takes me back to the passage where Paul is in dialogue with Timothy. And Timothy, of course, had been a, a student, an understudy of Paul's. He was younger. And Timothy had the fear, in, in some respects, I think not too different from your own, that because he was younger, that perhaps he would not be taken seriously he would not be respected, and therefore he kind of started a backpedal at a point. And, and that's where we see in Scripture where Paul says to Timothy, say not that you're a young man, meaning don't focus on what you think are your inadequacies. Rather, focus on trusting him, because who God calls, he will equip, he will qualify. And I wonder if that stands in the way of a lot of believers, that sometimes feel a calling of God on their life. Maybe they're drawn to a certain type of ministry. Maybe it's youth outreach. Who knows? And they begin to shy away. They feel, Lord, I, I just I just don't feel like I'm adequate for this. Sometimes maybe it's a fear that they don't know Scripture that well. Maybe it's a fear that they don't know how to communicate very effectively. And so as a result, they will have a difficult time in sharing and ministering to others. And I just wonder how often the enemy uses that to distract us and discourage us from doing what it is that God has genuinely called us to do because of a sense of inadequacy. Yes, and I believe that was that was a big part of it. I didn't feel like I was really qualified to do it. At that time, Craig, I was more concerned about how other people mm would think and how they would perceive me rather than just saying, forget about the world, 
Forget about the people and focus on being obedient to God. That wasn't in me. It wasn't in me. I was I was more concerned about what how people would accept me. And so I ran and I ran for 25 years. So you 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 ran and you ran hard two and a half <laughs> decades worth. But but over that time and, and of course, you know, in, in that period of time you raised a family, you continued working, but you also came across some tough times. And I'm wondering what happened during those times and how did God use some of those experiences in almost kind of a stripping away so that your focus, your dependence eventually would become singularly and wholly on God. How did that all come about? And walk us through, if you would, Bishop Heyman, as to how low you ended up going before yeah. you finally realized, you know what? I've had my eyes in the wrong. I've, I've been looking on the, the horizontal plane, and I really should have been looking at the vertical plane toward God the whole time. How'd that happen? Well, basically, very simply, I mean, I... Like I said, being an educated veteran, family man, I had a lot of options. I started teaching because that's something that I wanted to do since I was uh, in high school. I remember sitting in high school uh, in my geometry class. Now, I used to be an excellent math person. In fact, my classmates would come to me and say, how do you do this problem? How do you do that? And I would help them. I was, I was, a, I was a math whiz. But when I got to geometry, something is like the, the whole foreign language thing. It looked like it became a foreign language. I could not understand what my geometry teacher was saying. It didn't make no sense. And so I sat there in the class. I couldn't figure it out. It was totally different than algebra. And I was, quite frankly, lost. So while I'm sitting there in the classroom, I'm daydreaming. I figured it was the teacher because I was good in math. So I promised to myself at 16, I said, I'm going to be not just a teacher. I'm going to be a high school teacher because she doesn't know how to teach. She can't break it down. I know math, but she can't teach. I'm going to be a teacher because I know how I can break it down. So I made up in my mind and heart at 16, I wanted to be a teacher. So after I went in the Army on the GI Bill, I got out, I got my degree in economics, and then I went on and became a, a substitute high school teacher. But what I was using was my BA degree in economics, and also a lifetime college instructor credential in marketing and distribution. I earned that after working at General Motors, getting two years of experience at uh, the Oakland Parts Distribution Center. So I was able to qualify for that uh, uh, master's equivalent in marketing and distribution by way of a lifetime community college instructor credential. So I used those two documents, my degree and my lifetime college teaching credential to sign up to substitute teach. I first went to Alameda Unified, then I went to Hayward Unified, then I went to Mount Diablo Unified in Concord, then I went to Piedmont Unified, I went to Oakland Unified, San Lorenzo Unified, and finally, Fremont Unified. I was working for seven school districts at the same time, but I was able to teach in 20 different high schools in that academic year from 1981 to 1982. And that's what I really wanted to do. I got it out of my system. I felt like I had achieved my goals that I set for myself back in 66 or 67. And as far as I was concerned, being a family man, being a veteran with overseas experience uh, and, and getting it out of my system, got my degree, taught in 20 high schools, I felt like I was on top of the world. And I had no ideas about doing anything for the Lord or because I was all wrapped up in achieving my own goals. 
But this went on and on. Then I ran for mayor of Oakland. I was on the ballot, got nominated twice. I did a lot of other things. But what happened was I became a single father in 92, and I started raising my sons and daughters on my own. And then in 2003, or actually in 2000, I married a woman who I really didn't love, but I married her because I needed a place to stay. I mean, I was that bad off. I needed a place to stay, and I asked her if my son could stay with her. She said, yeah, he can stay, but you can stay also. I knew that was a setup, but I didn't have any options. So I went on and moved in with her, even though I knew I could get myself in some trouble. I ended up marrying her. I didn't love her, but the bottom line was she turned her back on me. She said something. I had to get out of her house, and then I had no place to go. And here I am at the bottom with my son, single father, no place to go. Here it is, 2003, on the street, because I made a bunch of bad choices. And at that point, I felt like I was broken down to the ground, with what they say, toe up from the flow up. And the only person that I could think of to call was my mother, because I needed some place to stay. We were riding around on the BART. We're riding around on buses to stay warm. I had no place to go. And so that's when I started crying out to the Lord. And I promised the Lord. I said, Lord, I know that I made some bad choices, but I'm willing to come back to you. I did it my way. My way did not work. The Bible, and that reminds me of a scripture that said, there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end of that way is death. I didn't know it at the time, but in hindsight, I thought I was on top of the world, doing whatever I want, but making the wrong decision, putting my trust in people instead of putting it in the Lord, and I don't have nobody to blame but myself. I take full responsibility for turning my back on the Lord and putting people ahead of the Lord. And I told him, Lord, if you give me another chance, I will obey you. I will put you first. I will trust in you to the best of my ability with all of my heart. I would stay focused on doing your will. I made that commitment, Craig, in January of 2003. And I meant it then. And I mean it now. I'm curious, when you reached out to your mother during that period of time when you were at your lowest and homeless and a single father, had your mother been a praying woman? Yes, yes, yes. I suspected you were going to say that because it, it just, you know, the thought occurred to me in hearing your story, Bishop Heyman, that so much of this is, is mindful of what we'll call the hound dog of heaven. That God <laughs> yeah. gets a hold of you, he's not going to let go. Now, you may wander, you may backslide, you may get distracted, you may head off into uh, directions that the Lord has nothing to do with. But at the end of the day, when God puts a calling on you, he stays after you. We're visiting today with Bishop General Heyman. He is senior pastor at God's Church in Christ Jesus. They meet in Fremont. Bishop Heyman, for someone eavesdropping on our conversation today, maybe they're new to the San Francisco Bay Area and looking for a church home. Tell us a bit about what God is doing at God's Church in Christ Jesus. We are a small uh, local congregation. However, we have a very large internet congregation so I would encourage you to come out. If you don't have a church home, come out and just pay us a visit. No obligation, but what I would say that it's important for all of us to be connected to a Christ-centered, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Every church is not teaching the Word of God. But we teach the word of God. We're not, 
you know, we're not here to entertain, but we will love on you. Because when I think about how the Lord loved me and took me back when I was disobedient, he has put a love for me, for everyone that walked through those doors. You will be loved. You will hear the word of God. We will sing songs of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord, and you will be welcome here at God's Church in Christ Jesus on Sundays at 11 a.m. And I'll mention for listeners that the church meets at uh, 47003 Mission Falls Court. That's in the city of Fremont. Again, 47003 Mission Falls Court in Fremont, Sundays at 11 a.m. And for more information, you can check them out online. Uh, look for God's Church in Christ Jesus. That's gcicjesus.org. That's gcicjesus.org. Our thanks to Bishop General Heyman for visiting with us today. Bishop, thanks so much for the time. It's been a delight. And thank you, Craig, for having me. Now, we will study the final passage in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which, and here's the word again, Jesus had designated. So, Jesus talked with his disciples and told them to go to this particular mountain. See? So he had the conversation with them, and, you know, they actually saw him, uh, saw him alive with a body. And so now Jesus had designated for them to go to a particular mountain. Okay? 17th verse. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. So, some of them weren't really sure if, you know, they weren't really sure what was going on. Because they knew he was supposed to have been dead, but yet and still, he still got a body. He's talking to him. He's a physical body. And uh, they're worshiping him, but they're thinking, man, I don't know, you know, I, you know, I don't know if we doing the right thing, worshiping, you know, we, you know, it's like question marks. So anyway, 18th verse. And it says, and Jesus came up. Now, that is pretty important. Jesus came up. So you think of a mountain. You think there got 11 men on this mountain. And Jesus not coming down, not descending, because God knows how to use that word descending or coming down. He's coming up. And usually, how do you get up to a mountain? You, you, you climb up. So here he is, as I can see it, climbing up the mountain, walking up the mountain. He came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I don't have to go to the 19th. That's that's so much in that 18th verse. <laughs> there is so much there. Jesus is telling these 11 men, and some of them weren't even sure what was going on, if that was really him or some angel. I mean, they weren't really. And he is telling them 
this statement. He didn't say, this is what he didn't say. Me and my father God were both working together and we both have the authority in heaven and on earth. He didn't say that. He didn't say that my father has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the Lord of heaven and on earth. And we right now are going to pray our father who art in heaven. Thank you for raising me from the dead. He did not say that. I'm going to tell you what he said. He said all authority has been given to me in heaven that means all authority in heaven and on earth now that is an announcement that I never heard him say before God raised him from the dead. I never, and I challenge anyone to show me where he has made that claim all those three and a half years prior to God raising him from the dead. I want to see that because it didn't happen. It didn't happen. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And the 19th verse is the therefore. And what is the 19th verse therefore? Well, you got to read the 18th to know what, why the 19th, what it's there for. It's there because Jesus has all the authority to say and do whatever he wants to do regarding heaven, earth, heaven and earth. Okay? That's the great announcement. So he says in the 19th verse, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, he doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved, but among all the different regions, all the different nationalities, all the different groups and uh, ethnic backgrounds, languages, tribes, cultures, you know, so he's not discriminating. You know, no matter you live over here, your country, city, uh, wealthy, Spanish, you know, just he wants disciples from representing every group, every national, every group, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. See, first of all, he's telling his those 11 disciples to make disciples. Then you baptize them in the name, okay? And then you teach them. See, just because they're disciples and just because they've been baptized in the name, it doesn't mean they understand what to do. So the next job is is to teach. So you make disciples, you baptize them a certain way, and then you teach them to observe. It means to do. In other words, time to be obedient, but you got to learn what to do before you can do it. You ain't going to automatically know. You need to be taught. So one of the primary roles of the apostles was to teach all believers, all saints, teaching. 
That's what Jesus commanded the apostles to do. There were no women on that mountain. He told those 11 men what to do. He didn't just say teach the men and not the women. He said teaching them disciples. That's everybody, anybody. Okay. All that I commanded you. Now, what does that mean? It means that, and I hear people say this sometimes, well, Jesus asked me to do this. No, Jesus don't ask you to do nothing. He commands you. Okay. He has all authority. If a judge says, uh, you know, you're going to spend some time, he's not asking you if you would like to spend some time. He's ordering you. He's commanding you. He has the authority to direct you and to tell you what you're going to do and how long you're going to do it. Jesus has way more authority than judges, police officers, presidents, kings, or anybody else. And people think he's asking. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Why you got to ask? If he wants you to do it, you'll do it. To observe all. That means to do all that I commanded you. Now, who did the Lord Jesus command? He commands the apostles, and the apostles teach everybody, no matter who you are, what it is that Jesus decides or orders or directs or commands because he speaks for God. God gave him all authority in order to speak for God and do the will of God and act in place of God because the bottom line, it ain't going to make no difference if he's God or not. If God made him both Lord and Christ and gave him all authority in heaven and earth, he's the Lord. And no man comes to the Father but through him. So, Jesus is making this very personal. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, you meaning those uh, apostles, and lo, I am with you. I am with you. I remember in the Bible where Jesus says, my Father is with me. And just like his father was with him, Jesus said, I am with you. He didn't say, I will be with you. He says, I am with you. Because as he speaks, as he speaks with all authority, everything that happened in the past that's in the past, whether it was good, whether it was bad, or whether it was ugly, whether it made sense or not. That's in the past. When Jesus says, I am with you, he is, he has been restored back to the full status of what? I am. <laughs> Boy, I tell you. Jesus is the one that you don't want to play cheap and say number two as far as anything goes. That's if you really know a little bit about him. I am with you always, boy. And that always is just to kind of underline I am with you because he's the living one. Always, even to the end of of the age. Even when this present age is over with, he's letting those 11 disciples, those 11 men know. In other words, do not be afraid. That's what he's saying. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Ooh. Thank you, Jesus. See? See how rich the word of God is because the word of God is Jesus. The word of God is Jesus. And God made him both Lord and Christ. 
And see, and sometimes, I'll tell you, sometimes I don't know which role he's actually in because I'm with you always while he's speaking from his position as Lord as far as all the authority, but being with you always, that's, a, it could be a combination, being, you know, Christ in us because he just, he just, it doesn't matter. It's Jesus, see? And that's how it really doesn't matter. But what does matter is when people substitute the word Christ for Jesus. When instead of saying Jesus, they say Christ. No, no, no. That's where they get off. Because certain things Christ does not have the authority to do, but Jesus has the authority to do any and everything. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference. See, Christ is the head of every man, but the head of Christ is God. God is the head of Christ. When Jesus acts as Lord, in the position as Lord, he is to be worshipped, but in his role as Christ, that's a different function. But the fact that he is both Lord and Christ, that's what makes it confusing because people don't know how to deal with that because they don't see him as both Lord and Christ on the basis of what God did. When did he do it? It doesn't matter. Before anybody was born that's currently living, it was already a done deal. Because it was a done deal when the Apostle Peter preached in Acts 2. It was already done. That was already in the past. So it doesn't matter when it happened. So it all makes sense. It says, in the name, and it says, teaching them to observe all that I, I, singular, first person singular, I, it's not like three panel judges up here. Okay, God in three parts. Okay, he's saying this, and let me check and see if I can appeal. No, you better. No, no, no. He is the one that says, I am. I am with you always. So you recognize him. If he send you somewhere else, do it. But until that, you recognize the one who commanded the apostles. And we're no greater than the apostles. So I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, when this age, when this dispensation or this period, this era is over with, it doesn't matter because Jesus is the living one. And when he says, I am with you always, that's throughout all eternity. Okay, just one more passage. And this will be in Acts 2. Acts 2. Because I want these to really sink in. I shared it with um, a preacher, and I just feel like these are just really very important to understand. So, Acts 2 and 22, but we really want to get it and get it, get a great understanding of it. Okay, Acts 2 and 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man, attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. Now, this is the part, very critical, which God performed through him. 
Most Christians don't get it. They don't go. But they have to. They need to. They really do. You can't be a good witness if you don't know what happened. You don't know the gospel. You don't teach it or preach it. See, which God performed through him. If I had a package for you, or here, Brother Paul, would you pass this to Brother Tim, please? Okay, so, Brother Tim, I gave you that book through Brother Paul. Where'd the book come from? As far as you're concerned, you got it from Brother Paul. But if I tell you that I sent it to you, it's my book, I wanted you to have it, and you got it through or by, see those words mean basically the same thing, very close, by and through, very close, by and through, okay, by and through, so you got it by Brother Paul. But see, people really understand it better if it's money. Now, if it's money, then they get the point. If I had a $100 bill, see it, get this to Brother Tim. I passed the Brother Paul. See, you understand it. See, you understand where it came from with money. See, a lot of things we don't understand because we don't have the right kind of examples to get us to really understand it. But God wants us to really understand how important his son is. Hmm. And now there's a father, father, father. Yeah, that's fine, but it shows you don't know that much. You don't know what's really going on. You're going by what somebody else saying. They don't really know what's going on. They know a little bit. They're kind of on the right track. But you know, he wants us to be sharper. He wants us to be sharper and really know. So let's, let's read some more so we can get really sharp so we'll have the confidence. Okay. A man attested. See, it says a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him. So who performed the miracles, signs, and wonders? God did it. Who did God do them through? Jesus. In your midst, just as you yourselves know, this Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God's behind all of that. Christ wasn't in charge. God's the head of Christ, was and is. Just basics. Okay, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, ungodly men, and put to death. You killed him. This man who God worked miracles, signs, and wonders through this man, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. (laughs) This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Ain't nothing sweet. This is the gospel. Real deal. What really happened? But that's not the end of the story. See, put to death. He was dead. Jesus was dead. Christ was dead. The Christ was dead. 24th verse. But God raised him up again. What do you mean again? Well, let me tell you what he means by again. It means that before the godless men put him to death, he had life. He was able to move around. He was up. See? When you're dead, you're down. See, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. The important thing is 
he was put to death, but God raised him up. See, now, these exact words that the apostle Peter is using, these are not the apostle Peter's words. These words are words that are coming as he is being inspired by the spirit of truth that is within him. See, this is Jesus keeping his promise and saying, I am with you always. His spirit, the spirit of Christ, is in the apostle Peter, is dwelling within his body. The Holy Spirit is influencing what words are coming out of his mouth. This is not a sermon that Peter sat down and wrote out and got some scriptures and put it together and say, okay, I'm going to preach on this if they ask me what's going on here. This is being inspired as he's up by the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth. And who's behind it? Jesus. This is the way Jesus wants the message to go out. These are the, ooh, these are the exact words that Jesus wants to be in these Bibles. What happened before, everything that Jesus said before that, that was then. This is the most updated, the most relevant, the most Lord Jesus back words Because why? Because the Apostle Peter is saying this after Jesus made it clear because the Apostle Peter was one of the men on that mountain, remember? Yeah, he was one of the ones on the mountain. A lot of people going around teaching about what's going on. They weren't on the mountain. (laughs) So I don't go by what they say when it goes against what the word of God? No, no, that's no question. See, they don't scare me. They don't scare me. Well, this is the way we do it. I said, well, you need to just sit down and be quiet because, number one, you don't scare me and you don't know what you're talking about because it doesn't match up with what the Lord Jesus wanted said. So if you're going to preach the gospel, you stick with the word or stay out of my face. You know, just as simple as that because I don't have time to play with nobody. I ain't. This ain't no play thing with me. So, God raised him up again. So that's very important. God performed the the miracle signs and wonders through him or by him means the same thing. And also God raised him up again. That's the way Jesus wants to say it. Why? Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that means over the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So this is the way he wanted the words to come out. How am I convinced of that? The word of God. Okay. Now, next scripture is same chapter, Acts 2 and 32. Okay. 32nd verse. Very important that we really get it. Okay. This Jesus. Now, why is he saying this Jesus, the Apostle Peter still? Because there were other people named Jesus. It's not just anybody named Jesus is the Son of God. No, just this particular Jesus, the one, you know, the one who was from Nazareth, okay? The one who God performed you know, miracle signs and wonders through, and the one, the same one who was crucified. That's the Jesus the Apostle Peter's trying to make clear. That's the one I'm referring to. You know the one I'm talking about. See? It's to identify and narrow it down precisely so you know which Jesus we're talking about. So in 32nd verse it said, this Jesus, God, Raise up again. See, that's important. And what's coming to me with the word again is that he, at one time, he was up. So, raise up again. It doesn't mean that 
another Jesus came down from heaven or God created another Jesus to take his place. See, this is the same person bodily. See, this goes to the bodily resurrection, bodily. See, his body. He showed Thomas his body. This is the same body. I still got those prints. This is the same body. See, God raised him up again. See, God doesn't have a physical body. God is a spirit. See? See? So when they say, as God on the cross, I say, show me the scripture. They can't do it, so I say, go play with somebody else, okay? Pick on somebody your own size. No, I don't play with people. I just tell them. I try to help them. Okay, this Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Now, who's the all? The all could be two all, but that's not even really important. The main, the first all that's really the most significant is that those other 11 men who are standing up with him. It's including those first. But he could also be including the other people in the place who also receive the Holy Spirit. Because they were aware of the fact that for them to receive the Holy Spirit, there's a connection between Jesus being alive and them receiving the Holy Spirit. See, they knew it. So, But at least uh, the Apostle Peter was referring to those 11 men who are witnesses to the fact that this is the same Jesus that was dead and before that who was crucified and who was able to do these things that God worked through him. So so we're all witnesses. In other words, we're testifying. We're standing up and saying this is the same Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. 33rd verse. Therefore, now the therefore is there because that 32nd verse is so important as foundation. So therefore, Having been exalted, that means that when God raised them from the dead, he's already exalted Jesus to the right hand of God. Okay? And having received from the Father. See? Having received from the Father. The promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. In other words, Jesus is the one who, after receiving the Holy Spirit from the Father, Jesus is the one who has poured forth. Poured forth means to pour down. To pour down. See? Poured forth this which you both see and hear. So when you see the people, the way what they're doing, and you hear the, you know, them speaking in uh, these different languages, and you can understand everybody, each person that's for wherever they're from can hear what's being said in their own language. So everybody is aware of what's going on. So in other words, Jesus is the one who poured forth. Now, he didn't automatically have this ability to do this, but he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. So the Holy Spirit wants it to be very, you know, very specific. He didn't just say God. But Father specifying, you know, the Father. See, specifying the Father as being a superior to the Son. Because everything comes from God. Everything originates from God. God is the head of Christ. See, so in this situation, God is the one who 
um, seated Jesus at the right hand of God, and the Father is the one who gave the Holy Spirit to the Son, who is the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, after receiving the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out, that means the Lord Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit, and that's the reason why things are going on. Because the same one you crucified and you killed, God exalted him up in heaven to be at the right hand of God and gave him the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one, you know, step by step, who poured forth his spirit. Okay? All right. And then the 36th verse says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that's in the past, has made him both, and both always means the one and the other. The one and the other. Turn and tell your neighbor, both means the one and the other. That's what both always means the same thing, no matter if it's daytime or nighttime, no matter if you live in Hong Kong or or Santa Cruz. Both means the one and the other. It means two, always. So God has made him. It didn't say it will make him. God has made him. In other words, before um, Jesus poured forth the Holy Spirit, sometime before that, God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, see, this particular Jesus, and he identifies him even more clearly, so there's no doubt whom you crucify. So that's very, that should be very encouraging that God made him both Lord and Christ, that God exalted him to the right hand of God, that God gave Jesus the uh, promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus poured forth the Spirit. God raised Jesus up again, even though he was crucified and killed and buried. So all we need to know is keep continuing to keep our trust in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there's no one who can do us better and there's no one who can do us worse. He's got all authority. He's going to be the judge. He's the one who God has appointed to judge all mankind because he is the Son of Man. Bishop General Heyman, he is Senior Pastor at God's Church in Christ Jesus of Fremont. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website, to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.